This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. As we look at the fabric of the lives of our saints, there's really no clear pattern to see from their early years that they would one day be revered as a saint or holy person of the church. In fact, I don't believe it's that uncommon that, at first glance, we might even chuckle a bit at the prospect of some even embracing the faith. And certainly a good example is our subject today, who first gained a reputation as a philosopher, an intellectual, an atheist, as well as a respected existentialist. Well, to put it simply, existentialism might be first defined as a philosophy emphasizing free will in coming to terms with subjected meaning and meaningless in one's existence, hardly the foundation one would expect to lead to the Roman Catholic Church. But that's our story for today, and and perhaps a real illustration of the the magnificent power of God overcoming the intellectual who denies his very existence. And she is our story for today, and a beautiful example of how God's master plan overcomes all obstacles in a journey for a soul. Our story starts back in October of 1891, when a little girl, the youngest of 11 children, was born in Germany on the Feast of Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement, to Siegfried and Augusta Stein, and the baby was named Edith. Siegfried had recently started a timber business, and prospects looked promising for him to comfortably support his wife and seven surviving children. But the youthful mortality rate at that time was fairly high, and unfortunately, by the time Edith was two, Siegfried had died, and the responsibility for running the timber company and and buying forest land throughout Europe had fallen to his wife. And while it didn't happen overnight, she assumed the management of the business and eventually operated it with the skill and finesse of an experienced professional. It was not that long before Augusta was able to acquire a bigger and better stone house for her family. She was a deeply religious woman in her Jewish faith, and she made certain that both she and her children carefully observed all the Jewish holidays of observances and traditions such as fasting, prayer, and, and worship. And through all the trials and tribulations of maintaining the family and successfully operating the large-scale timber business, Frau Stein made certain that her children worshipped God and followed their Jewish heritage, which included Hebrew prayers at the dinner table, as well as observing the traditional holidays and necessary fasting. So God was always present in the Stein household. Now, education was an important ingredient, and even as a very young child, it was immediately evident that little Edith was an awesomely bright child with an inquisitive mind and an IQ far above the average. 
and as the years would pass, her mind would often be referred to as brilliant. Well, even before starting her formal education in what we might consider grade school, Edith had already learned the names of many of the more accomplished German authors of the day. While most children enjoyed the competition, camaraderie, and activities of kindergarten, Edith considered it rather a bore and beneath her interest level. Perhaps one of her most compelling traits was that of curiosity. She had always possessed a a passionate desire for learning, and even as a youngster, in her earliest days of schooling, would usually choose a seat up close to the front of the class so she would not miss anything, and her inquiring mind was always filled with questions, questions that demanded answers not just with words, but with a hard evidence of proof. Starting in grade school, in her first year, she, of course, could neither read nor write, but by the end of the year, she was first in her class, and throughout her years of education, her brilliance would be constantly recognized, and despite her brilliance, she was popular and maintained a a broad spectrum of friends. In In a way, she was a living example of the current quote of our time that inquiring minds want to know. Not satisfied with simple answers, she also wanted to know the reasons for and the proof of what was to be considered as a fact. Perhaps that was the very reason that she began to question her Jewish religious beliefs and the very existence of God. Again, she not only wanted, but demanded proof. And this was no spoiled child merely wanting her own way. It was fueled by her inquisitive intellect that dealt with facts that possibly she could hold in her hand. As I said, she was not a spoiled child. This was a kind, obedient, questioning intellect. Oh, she would continue going to temple with her mother, but she was there in body only. By the age of 12, she became so bored with school that she dropped out for a whole year in which she lived with her older sister in Hamburg. She was comfortable there because her sister also had given up practicing her faith, so she was not constantly being bombarded like her mother to go to the synagogue for worship. To put it in its simplest and most basic of terms, she was now a full-fledged atheist. To her, God had not been proven to exist. Therefore, to her mind, there was no God. She could probably concede that she started questioning the very existence of God by the time she was just seven years old. There is an old phrase in French that I learned in school, uh, la cura se raison que la raison ne connaît pas. The heart has its reason that reason knows nothing of. And perhaps God may often plant those seeds of doubt in reason that he can water and nurture and grow into beautiful blooms, and just maybe he was in his own way 
cultivating a beautiful flower for his garden in heaven. Well, in 1911, around the age of 20, eager for knowledge, Edith enrolled in the University of Breslau, where she selected the very basic of courses, such as German and history. She had a broad range of interests that were products of her inquiring mind, but her real interest seemed quite naturally in philosophy, as well as women's issues. Naturally, this was a period in time where opportunities for women were severely limited, but when everything was said and done, philosophy and the mind were topics that triggered her greatest interest. She followed the writings and studies of of the most prominent philosophers of her day, and two years later, in 1913, switched to the University of Göttingen to study directly under Edmund Husserl's, whose interest in phrenology was later to be proven as a fad. But she became interested in existentialism, which is a philosophy that I mentioned that emphasizes the uniqueness and isolation of the individual's experience in a hostile or indifferent universe that regarded human existence as unexplainable and stressed the freedom of choice and responsibility for the consequences of one's acts. Nonetheless, Still hungry for knowledge and perhaps without thinking it, Edith had embarked on a on a lifelong search to find her place of belonging in this vast universe. This search would take her in many directions and to many places too numerous to mention in the short time we have today. But Always on the prowl for knowledge, Edith eventually received a doctorate degree, but at that period of history, advanced positions commensurate with her vast knowledge and degrees were not available to women. However, the difficulties of the day did not deter Edith from seeking the meaning of life and and continuing her study for the meaning of life. In late 1917, during World War I, one of her professors with whom she worked, Professor Adolf Reinach, was killed on the battlefield at Flanders. The professor's wife asked Edith for her help in placing her late husband's papers and research documents in order, and Edith agreed, although she dreaded the task, but out of respect for her friend and his wife, Well, she reluctantly agreed. During this process, Edith learned that both the professor and his wife were Jewish converts to Christianity, and Edith found this a a tantalizing and puzzling happening. What proved even more puzzling to Edith was the resignation of the professor's wife to the will of God, and instead of weeping and wailing over his death, the wife steadfastly maintained that it was the will of God and her hope of the resurrection gave her courage. Perhaps this was one of the first strong examples of the Christian faith that Edith had seen, but it jarred her more than she liked to admit. 
As I said, she was a devout atheist, and yet here were two friends whom she respected as friends, and perhaps for her, more importantly, she respected their knowledge and intellect, and they were converts from Judaism to Christianity. Now, we have to bear in mind that Edith Stein was a strong-willed young woman, a very strong-willed woman, known for her brilliance and keen intellect, and she was jarred again especially as she sorted the professor's notes and read one of his jottings. It said, Everything bears the imprint of God, including time and space. Wow, that got her attention. Here were writings from a Jewish friend whom she admired as a friend and for his mind as well. And there was another note she found. He had written, God in his mercy has granted me a new life. Through prayer, I come into contact with the ultimate cause of the world. End of quote. Well, I can just visualize Edith Stein reading this, then perhaps pausing for a moment, looking off into space, realizing the importance of what she had read. No, that did not propel her into Christianity, or perhaps even giving up her atheism, but this was a man for whom she had the greatest respect, not only as a friend, but as a mentor with a brilliant mind. But she was not ready to give in, but the seed, well, the seed had been planted. And now, as the farmer sows in the spring, the seedlings will eventually take root. It was time for a new direction. It was a time that Edith would now throw herself into, into a quest to find a place where both her soul and her mind would find rest and would thereby find truth, and the battle for that truth would commence. Can you imagine the effect this would be on a mind as, as brilliant as Edith's, coming to grip with the true meaning of life, her mind possessed by scientific logic? Well, her hostility to religion was weakening. She was not ready to accept Christianity, much less Catholicism, but she was now thinking, and her mind, trained by years of searching for the truth, was being challenged. Well, the end of the journey would not be overnight, and her quest would continue for several years, until 1921. She was on vacation, a holiday. It was evening, and she wanted something to read, anything to keep her mind occupied, and so she picked up a book that just happened to be there. It was The Autobiography of St. Teresa of Avila. If you've seen that book, well, it's not a thin paperback. It's a pretty good-sized book. Well, Edith picked it up and read the first few pages, and as she read, she couldn't put it down. It was as if Teresa herself was talking to her. Edith Stein, the atheist. Oh, no, she couldn't put it down. She read the entire book through the night, and as she closed the last page, she had the feeling that 
she had finally found the truth, and that St. Teresa was challenging her brilliance to put aside her questions for a while and, and let God fill her heart, and that prayer, not research, was the key. The first thing she did was to buy a missal and a catechism and started preparing for baptism into the Catholic Church, which occurred a few months later. God was winning. She spent the next eight years teaching in a Dominican school for girls, devoting herself to prayer. She even translated St. Thomas Aquinas into German and was noted for her intense prayer. This former atheist scholar, was known for spending hours praying before a picture of Our Lady of Sorrows, gazing at another woman who also embraced Christ and allowed his suffering to pierce her heart too. Well, as the Nazis started their persecution of the Jewish people in Germany, the mother superior suggested that, well, Edith might do better remaining in the secular life where she would have a greater opportunity to flee. Edith told her in the present situation, quote, it is not human activity that can help, but the passion of Christ. It is a share of this that I desire. Well, Edith entered the Carmelite convent in Cologne in 1933, taking the name of St. Benedicta of the Cross. Following the death of her mother, Edith's sister Rosa followed her into the Catholic faith. Well, with the Nazi assault on the Jewish people continuing, the order sent Edith, now St. Teresa Benedict, as I mentioned, to Holland, where they hoped she would be safer and she was joined there by Rosa. Later, when the Catholic bishops in issued a pastoral letter in Holland condemning the persecution of the Jews, the nuns were trying to arrange at that time for the passage of Edith and Rosa out of the country for safety. But before this was accomplished, the two were taken by the Nazis and packed in a freight car like cattle, to be transported back to Germany. There were reports of a nun who appeared like an angel caring for the panicked mothers and children, a calm but sorrowful figure which someone described like the Pieta without Christ, an island of consolation in a field of terror. On August the 9th, Edith and Rosa arrived at Auschwitz, and they were gassed the very same day. There's a note scribbled by Sister Teresa Benedicta that survives, saying, I am content about everything. One cannot acquire knowledge of the cross unless one begins by really suffering the weight of the cross. I have had this inner conviction, and I have said from the bottom of my heart, Hail to the cross, our only hope. End of Edith's comments. One of the women who survived and saw St. Teresa Benedicta before her death said of her, she carried so much pain that it hurt to see her smile. She wrote, in my opinion, she was thinking about the suffering that lay ahead, not her own suffering, 
She was too resigned for that, but the suffering that was in store for the others. It's been written, while we may never be called to die for our faith, we are all called to embrace the cross. God sees every sacrifice we make, no matter how small, make us more Christ-like and opens the way for God's knowledge to advance in the world. Edith Stein was canonized a saint by Pope John Paul II on October the 11th, 1998. Saint Edith Stein, or Saint Teresa Benedicta, once wrote, quote, The way of faith gives us more than the way of philosophical thought. It gives us God, near to us as a person, who loves us and deals with us mercifully, giving us that security which human knowledge cannot give. But the way of faith is dark. Edith Stein walked the dark road without flinchings, secure as the baby who abandons itself to the father. By that day, by that dark way of faith, she reached the highest perfection of being, which is at once knowledge, the gift of heart and freedom of action. Her life embodies the discovery, obedience, trust, and the love of God. Edith Stein once wrote, The more an era is engulfed in the night of sin and estrangement from God, the more it needs souls united to God. The greatest figures of prophecy and sanctity step forth out of the darkest night. Like Edith Stein, each of us can be one of those figures. It's up to us. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.